Now, I grew up in a town that had less than 10,000 people in northwestern Minnesota, and the word of the Lord was rare. Visions were rare, and if people had them, uh, they thought they were weird, because everybody went to church, but they went to uh, traditional, liturgical, uh, everybody was Lutheran or Catholic, I'm not knocking Lutheran or Catholics, or some brand of that. And so you kind of did the same thing each week. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that's what I grew up in. And because I was in a town of about 10,000 people or less, I also had the opportunity to play three sports and, and actually have the chance to play some of those sports varsity. And so one of my memories that's very vivid was when I was a freshman because I was still in junior high running at that point. But at the end of the season, I was kind of, it was my breakout season. Uh, and my coach had put us slew of freshmen, there was about eight of us, into the JV slot. He ran us all, and then he said at the very last meet of the year before the section meet, which would bring us to state, he said, all right, top seven times, I'm taking the top seven times to state, or top seven times to the section meet, all right? You guys go. So JV ran, I ran my heart out. I ran as fast, I ran, because before this point in junior high, I had just jogged in cross country, I ran. I beat girls, it was awesome. Uh, because that hadn't happened yet either. But anyway, I digress. So I finish the race, get my time, still remember it. It's not very good, so I'm not going to tell you. Still remember the time. And then we wait, and we listen, and we, we wonder, so who from the varsity race is going to beat us? Now, a couple of my friends were very, very good runners in, in, that were freshmen. And then there were about four upperclassmen that were just solid. Like, we knew they, they were going to make it. But then we're kind of watching some of the race, and we're seeing three or four of the 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, uh, I guess you'd call it dilly-dally. They literally, at one point, were wrestling each other, walking, uh, playing in the trees, and then they finally finished the race, and then bragging about how they had cut a half mile out out of the race, and they came in four seconds behind me. Three guys came in between four and ten seconds behind me. I was pumped. I was, I was the sixth runner on the team. I'd never been sixth in anything. I mean, I was, I was going to sections, and the coach was like, oh, no. <laughs> Jacobson made the section team. Like, I'm 5'3", all of 115 pounds barely, soaking wet with six layers on. And, and the, the guys that cut the race that didn't make it were 5'10", 6'1", 6'4". These guys literally had the worst race of their life. But I made it. And now he had a choice. Was he going to honor his word, honor that commitment that he made to this team and to us as coaches, or as players, or was he going to maybe honor the school? Uh, the athletic board, honor the varsity runners, one of which was a captain who slacked off and to build the best team to represent him to go to sections and actually have a legitimate shot at going to state. What was he going to do? Was he going to honor his word or was he going to honor something or someone else? And days went by as I waited. Actually, it was just a day, but it didn't sound as cool. Um, it felt like days. And sometimes in life, cheaters win, don't they? And 
And sometimes people get away with stuff all the time. And I'm sure you have a story. I'm sure you can think of someone that got away with something. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a boss or a supervisor or a teacher or a coach. They got away with something. And, and it just, if you're a break the rules person, maybe it doesn't bother you. But if, if you're sort of like the rules are meant to be questioned, or especially if you're a rules are meant to be followed person, this bothers you. And we started a series last week called A Heart Right with God as we look at this book of Samuel. And we learned that there's this boy named Samuel who was dedicated to the Lord by a faithful, trusting mother. A mother who, against all odds, against oppression in every way, put her trust and her faith and her hope in this one true God, this God who gives life. And she believed him, and she trusted him, and she even dedicates her son to him. And so, Today we look at, as the story continues, what are some of the warning signs that our heart might not be right with God? That we, like, throw the offering basket down in contempt. <laughs> Love you, Marsha. People listening are going to have no idea what's going on. But we had a good moment. This is why you come live. So what are those warning signs that maybe our heart is not right with God. So look at the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you want to open it up. Let me pray for us. God, we come here and it's foolish to think that, that I could say anything of value to change people's lives. Uh, sometimes I'm even shocked that people show up. But uh, your word and your spirit transform And that's who's leading us, not me. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we look at the word today, that it would, that you'd reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. That you'd remove the things that cause our hearts to be hard, our ears not to hear, and our eyes not to see. And today we would see something in you that maybe we haven't seen before or a change that that we need to make. So we just are open. Amen. Now, if... Uh, you've been around for a while. Uh, I, I'm sure 100 years ago, I'm sure 50 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, if you wanted to get your heart right with God, you would go to church, right? And, and this mom, Hannah, who dedicates her son Samuel, she brings him to the temple, the Jewish version of church. It's the Jewish place of worship. She brings him to the temple, and we pick up the story in chapter, er, in chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, Hannah sings this song of praise to the Lord, and it says that Hannah's husband, Alcanah, went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered under God, or before the Lord, under Eli the priest. So if you're a church person, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, you go to the temple to see God. If you're not a church person, you're like, I don't like where this is going. You know, I just don't want to, I just don't want to hear a message about church. This isn't really about church. So if you're far from God, uh, know that our hearts being right with God have no determination on where we are. None. Amen? Yeah, amen. No determination of where we are. This is not about going to church or going to temple. Now, it is our prayer that we would create a space that, that we could hear God in. And so we set it up and we pray and we, we 
ask that things, spiritual things could be removed so that when we come to this space, out of any other time in the week, this would be a space where we could hear from God, even though he speaks all the time. So we open ourselves up to that, but it's not about going to church, and we'll see that in just a moment. But the writer wants us to know that Samuel's living in the temple, and he is with the senior priest. He's basically an altar boy. And if you're Catholic, that might do something good or something bad. I don't know. But we're going to pick up the story in verse 18, because we see that Samuel, again, the narrator is telling us Samuel's ministering before the Lord, and under Eli, we pick it up in verse 18, it says Samuel's ministering before the Lord a boy wearing a linen ephod, which is a fancy word for a priest's robe. Okay, some people want to be firefighters, some people want to be doctors, and their parents get them a little lab coat, or their parents get them like a teacher stick, uh, or maybe one of those laser PowerPoint presenters, or a calculator if they want to be an accountant. But no, like Hannah's mom is like, you're going to have a little linen ephod. And, and at Halloween, all the guys go, Sam, what do you want to be? He's like, I want to be a priest. And they probably think he's weird, but... His mom makes him this linen ephod. This is a priestly garment. Every year it says that he makes a little robe and they take it to him because he probably outgrows it. And Eli, the priest, would bless Samuel's family, Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, and say, may the Lord give you more children to, to replace, if that's possible, the one that you have dedicated to the Lord. And then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah and she gives birth to three sons and two daughters, this fulfills a giant hole in Hannah's heart that we talked about last week. But it says then, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Do you see the cadence that's going on in verse 12? Meanwhile, Samuel's before the Lord. Verse 18, Samuel's ministering before the Lord. And now Samuel's growing up in the presence of the Lord. And so if we skip down to verse 26, we see the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And if you're like, if you read the Bible a lot, you should go, wait a second, I think I've heard that phrase before. Samuel grew in stature and favor with the Lord and with people because that phrase is said of Jesus. Jesus grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And yet, we go to the next chapter and we see the narrative somehow not maybe going in chronological order. So if we skip to chapter 3, verse 1, we see that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So part of us should be going, ah, I think we've already said that already. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, that is physical and spiritual. He was laying down in his usual place in the temple. It was dark, but not too dark. Samuel was lying down there too. The Lord calls out to Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he thinks it's Eli, so he runs into the other room, and obviously Eli's eyes are so weak that he can't see. So he says, here I am, Eli, what do you need? Which has probably happened time after time after time, because we find out later that Eli's very old. We also find out later that he's very fat, but that's a different part of the story. Um, so, Eli, so Samuel kind of is his assistant in every shape of the word. So here I am, Eli, what do you need? It wasn't me, go back to bed. Then again, the Lord calls out to Samuel, and Samuel answers, here I am, and runs over to Eli, here I am, you called me. And he said, I didn't call you, go back to bed, lay down. And again, the Lord calls out to Samuel, and Samuel calls, here I am, and there's this really interesting phrase down here in verse 7, Samuel did not know the Lord. 
For God had not revealed himself to him. To reveal is to have a revelation of, to make him known. And so here Samuel is being presented as pure, as innocent, as honest, as righteous, as a guy with integrity. And yet, he's doing all the right outside things, but he doesn't know the Lord. Okay, he's spending time at the temple. He's helping the priest. He is, um, people like him. He's growing in stature with the Lord and with people. And yet, he still doesn't know the Lord. And this, this word know, we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. It means, um, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a close face-to-face relationship. I think I told you about when I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and the people there, like, really loved each other. And so they got, and I love people. I mean, if you haven't figured that out about me, like, hello, I love people. I love new people. I'm just doing everything I can not to just spend, like, hours and minutes just asking everything about you. I, but, but I found out that my safe distance is 18 inches. I'm an 18 to 24 inches guy. Now, some people are 36 to 48 inch guys or girls, you know, but I'm an 18 to 24 inch person. And, and these people, they were like 6 to 12 it was scary. I found myself like moving back, grabbing cough drops and breath mints. I mean, they're just here. But this is what know the Lord means. It's face to face. It's close. It's six inches. You might not have many people in your life. You might not have anybody in your life that you can be that close to. But this is what God is talking about here. And it says that he did not know the Lord. So if you're here and you're seeking God, or maybe you've sought God in the past, and you feel like like Samuel, like, wait a second, I'm doing the right stuff, I'm trying the right things, I've gone to church, I've helped a pastor, I've given to charity, why haven't I felt God's presence before? If that's you, just sit tight. This is good news for you. You just have to wait. Because maybe you're not there. And the narrator is trying to make this huge contrast between the innocence of Samuel and then the priest's sons. So we, there's this back and forth. That's why I skipped around. So if we jump back to verse 12, here we find Samuel ministering before the Lord in the temple, but then it just quickly changes gears. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord, for it was the practice of the priests that whenever people offered a sacrifice, the priest servants would come with a three-pronged pork, three-pronged fork in their hand while the meat was broiling, stick it in, and take whatever came out. And this is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh, where the temple was. But even before the fat was burned, the priest servants would come and say to the person, give me the meat. He won't accept boiled meat, but only the raw meat, so I can cook it on my barbecue. And the people will say, I don't think we should do that because God's law had said, do not do it this way. And they said, I'll take it by force. Now, this might not strike anything in us. I had to read this 17 times before. I'm like, really? What's this about? But it's gigantic. And if we don't know, we can just read the next verse. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the offering with contempt. Because Leviticus and Numbers, these books of law, had said, God's holy, and this is how you treat these sacrifices. And they were totally 
not doing it the way they were supposed to. And you might think, it's just a piece of meat. It's so, I mean, God isn't even interested in our physical sacrifices like that. We'll come back to that in a second. The writer, though, loves irony, loves it. And so the whole book is filled with it. And it's all about the rise and fall of people. And so here we see the rise of Samuel, and here we see the fall of Eli and his sons. And so they actually use, another way to translate that first verse, um, verse 12, is that Eli's sons were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Okay? So worthless goes all the way back to Hannah, because Hannah is praying for her son, desperate. She's got another woman who's in her husband's life, who's being the child provider, and and she's praying and praying and praying for his son. Eli doesn't even know who this woman is, and he sees her praying, and he thinks she's drunk. So he comes over and he says, must you indulge in so much wine? You're such a worthless woman. Same word. The writer wants you to know that, wants you to see that, that this priest, this guy who's supposed to know the Lord, who's supposed to represent God before the people, he can't even tell like a righteous woman from a drunk woman, from a woman who is crying out to the Lord and a woman who indulges in too much wine. And so he calls her worthless. Well, the narrator knows the real story and he says, no, 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 no. It's Samuel, it's Eli's sons who are worthless. They're the ones who are wicked. They're the ones who don't know the Lord. Even though they should know the Lord, they are priests. They are much older than Samuel. If Eli's very old, then they're probably older. They are old enough to have their own servants. And and they don't have a face-to-face relationship with God. How do we know that? Well, they hang out at the temple, but they don't consider it a privilege to hang out at the temple. They don't consider it a responsibility to hang out at the temple to serve God. In fact, they'd be much better entrepreneurs because they figured out an awesome way to get fat. In fact, they don't just have a three-prong fork. I heard that they have a 3G fork. Then they made a 3GS fork, and now they're coming out with a 4S fork and maybe even a 5 fork. They love technology. They love to take it and exploit it for all it is. That was a joke. Um, and, and there's no money in this society. Food is money. Crops are money. Land is money. And, and it, God was really clear. He took this group of people called the Levites and he said, you, you are not going to get a portion of land. You are going to instead be my portion which some of them said, oh, that's super cool. That's sacred. And some of them were like, really? But I want to I wanna have land. I want to make money. I want to decide how that happens. Priests, pastors, our salaries are kind of determined by other people's generosity. And when I wasn't one of these people who stood up here, if I made more money than them, I felt like, oh, they're fine. And if I made less money than them, I'm like, really? Do you really? Are you going to drive that car? You just, are you giving money? I mean, there's just this weird thing that happens. Like, depending on where we're at, we kind of determine what we think the other person should be like. And Samuel's, or Eli's sons use this food as money, and they always want more. So they're not indulging in wine. No, they're indulging in food. 
and they're never satisfied. There's certain things that they're supposed to have from the offering, and they take more and more. And we find out later in chapter 4 that Eli's very fat. Maybe Eli has been just fine with his sons going to KFC and having the super-sized meal time and time again. And so then we find out in verse 22 that they're not just indulging in food, but they're also indulging in way more than food. Verse 22 says, Eli is very old. He hears about everything his sons are doing to all Israel, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This is like a reality show. What are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be serving as priests, and instead they're hanging out with the nuns or the the women who are serving, the altar girls, and they're using uh, their power, potentially, to get way more than, than they need or want, or, or should have. They say that the three biggest temptations in life are money, sex, and power. And here we see Eli's sons kind of diving after all three. And it is an, it is an indulgence that is never, ever, ever going to be quenched in our lives. And just hear story after story. And I think you'd agree. It doesn't take, doesn't take too long. We could just look back over a couple years and we can see scandal after scandal of people that stand before congregations to speak the word of God and then do heinous things. There's a pastor in Colorado who, who at 22 got married, had two kids, started a church, had three more kids. The church went from 22 people in the basement to 14,000, and all of a sudden, 20 years later, 15 years later, it comes out that um, he's having inappropriate uh, activity uh, with a, a male masseuse, and, and the church is just shattered, and the family shattered. And it's, what happens what happens to someone who, who speaks the word of God week after week to then do something like that? I think it's just a magnifying glass to what happens to our lives and your lives as you have the opportunity to have the word of God open to you, whether it's here or whether it's in your own life. And if it doesn't, if you don't hear it, and let it impact you. If it's just information and not formation, we're in deep trouble. And that's where Eli's sons are headed. It's bad. They're not content with their place in life. They, uh, they're indulging, indulging. And they, if, if you want to put it really simply, it's, it seems like they love themselves more than God. And maybe that sounds judgmental, but, but I think if you and I were to look at our lives and we were to look at those places that don't really honor God, aren't we choosing ourselves over God? And, and maybe it just seems like we can get away with it. You know, when I was waiting for my coach's answer, I was wondering, are we just going like, is, is, are these guys just going to get away with it? So the coach decides, you know what? The times were so close. 
I mean, one guy four seconds ahead of two more guys who tied, and then another guy six seconds after that, we're going to have a runoff. We're all going to, but it's just going to be a mile and a half, not three miles. I'm like, oh yeah, a mile and a half with guys that are 6'4 to my 5'3. That doesn't sound very fair. So we did the runoff. I took last place. I didn't get to go to sections. And, and I was disappointed. My coach got away with the decision. And it wasn't really about the race. It was really more about this idea that, that, that I was, well, it was about me getting shafted a little bit. But, but it was this missed opportunity in the coach's life and this missed opportunity in these upperclassmen's lives to, to say, does integrity matter? Does honesty matter? Does commitment matter? And later my coach missed all opportunities to ever, ever, ever teach us a lesson on integrity. Because remember how I said, if you feel like Samuel and you do all the right things, hang tight, keep hanging. Because this coach was also a math teacher and, uh, and his son was in my class and another guy was in my class whose mom was a math teacher and they kind of like prepped math together and then they started having lunch together. But nobody thought anything of it because the guy who was my coach, his wife was a secretary in the school. And so he would surely see his wife and surely his wife wouldn't think anything about, you know, this math teacher and this math teacher doing math things together and maybe having lunch together. Uh, but a year later, it all broke out, and they'd been having an affair for, for a few years, and both families were shattered. And, and it wasn't about a race. And sometimes we think that we get away with these little things, and that it's the grace of God that spares us from the correction. And I think that's a lie. I think, honestly, that's a lie from the pit of hell. In fact, I don't think it's the grace of God that does that. I think it's the evil one that delays that punishment, delays that discipline, delays that gratification uh, or that correction. Because in the book of Proverbs, we see that God disciplines those he loves. God corrects those he loves. So then if he doesn't correct those he loves, what's going on? And I think that the evil one comes in and wants us to think that it's God's grace that is keeping us from being corrected. When really, it's the evil one trying to get us to have our hearts grow cold, hard, and callous. So that when the things of God do come forward, we don't hear them. We reject them. And our life just ends up in utter destruction. And so, when the, the writer says that for, it was God's will to put them to death, we didn't read the verse, but it's in 25. If you read it, you'll see it there. And you go, oh, is God just finicky? And he just decides like, oh, this person's going to hell, but this person's not. No, no, it's because God is sovereign. He sees what's in our hearts. And he sees Eli's sons growing cold and callous and hard to the things of God. It's like spending time in the temple and being before the Lord made no difference in their life. Remember how I said, hang tight if you're a Samuel person? Samuel's outward actions do not make him right with God. I want you to hear that. They don't, but they make him ready to hear from God. 
His outward actions make him ready to hear from God. So when the Lord says, here I am, Samuel, finally he gets it. It takes a while, but he gets it. And he steps before the Lord and says, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak. And God reveals his plan for Samuel. And it is amazing information, but it's also an invitation to formation. God wants to transform Samuel's life to make him into a man according to his heart, to lead the people back to him. Because it's not really about Samuel. It's really about God being king. God being king over this group of people so that they might be representatives to the whole world. And he knows he needs someone that isn't going to be lured away from the indulgences of life. Whether it's food or whether it's illicit relationships, or whatever it is, power, money. He needs someone that is innocent. And so Samuel's outward actions make him ready. Now, Eli's son's outward actions certainly don't make them right with God. They obviously demonstrate that they don't have this close face-to-face relationship with him. They see religion as just information. They see the temple as just routine, not transformation, not formation. It's almost like they think they can be two different people. They can serve God over here, and and their heart can be like appearing right, and then they can go over here, and then their hearts, it doesn't, they can be whatever they want. And we call those people schizophrenic. They have split personalities. And God wants wholeness in our lives. He wants us to be one person all the time in every place in our lives. And if you're not sure if you fit into the category of Eli's sons, which I hope you're not in, but have hope if you think you are, it's coming. And if you're not sure if you fit into the category of Samuel, where you're doing the right stuff and you just haven't heard from God, you could take a look at Eli. He's a mixed bag. I mean, he can't get a righteous woman from a wicked woman. He sort of hears God, but doesn't hear God. He can't discipline his own sons, which we see. He doesn't hear God's voice till the third try, but he's like the senior priest. And I mean no disrespect, but he's very old, which it's not really about. But he can't see. He has no vision for God, physically and spiritually. And then he has likely... A lot of scholars believe this whole being fat thing uh, was because he was eating whatever his sons brought forth. So he was allowing that, uh, condoning that activity. And, and, And the words from a man of God, which is never good, when a man of God steps on the scene, the Bible writer says, and a man of God appeared to Eli. That's always bad. When a man of God appears, like, get down on your knees and beg. And a man of God appeared to Eli. And he said, hey, he gave him three really powerful questions that cut right to his heart. And I think they're questions for us as we look at, are our hearts right with God? Are they soft to hear the things of God? I mean, the first question deals with, do you remember how I've, where I've come from? Do you remember where you've come from, Eli, that you're in this line of priests? which I would just translate to our day to say, do we remember how God has been good in the past, in the present, and will be in our future? 
have, have we ever stopped to think about what our lives would be like if we know, if we have that relationship with God, have we ever stopped to think about what our lives would be like without him? What selfishness we could do. How that indulgence would just start creeping in. And do we stop to say, God, if your grace isn't in my life, if your love isn't in my life, if you're not right here, I'm going to be a wreck. It's just a matter of time. And if you're someone who's far from God, know that it's not about the right things. It's about having a response to God and being open to God and saying, God, take me where I'm at. And he will. Every time he will. He does. Secondly, do we remember the privilege and the responsibility of being in relationship with God? Samuel did, but Eli and his sons didn't. Samuel knew that. And then third is a really powerful question that God says to Samuel, or God says to Eli, this man of God. He says, why do you honor your sons above me? Why do you honor something besides me over me. Man, that question just haunted me all week. It was, oh, it was brutal. Brutal, because God is loving, but loving like a surgeon. And he wants to just cut those things out of our life because he loves us that are unhealthy, that will kill us. They're like tumors. They're like things that will grow and devour us because we have appetites, whether we're wicked or whether we're just selfish. And here Eli allowed his sons to take priority over God. And maybe it is. Maybe you're a parent and you're like, oh yeah, that's what it is for me. But maybe it's something different. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Or maybe it is more like money, sex, and power. But I think God is just giving this fair warning, a loving warning. It would be like a mirror. If you just picture you and God all by yourselves, is there anything that you put above me? Or maybe he knows and he would say, why do you honor this before me? Eli could have responded, Samuel did respond this time. And God uses him to transform the whole nation. God wants to use each of us in his kingdom, not because we're special, but because he loves us, because he wants to show the world that when people honor God above everything else, transformation happens. What do you honor above God? Let's pray. God, as we move into a time of offering, because it seems appropriate to, to lay not only our finances, but our lives before you, uh, this isn't about being forced to give of our finances. It is a reminder of what we trust in and what we put our hope in. And so we give as an antidote 
And sometimes we give out of thanks and out of abundance and out of generosity, but sometimes we just give as an antidote to keep from becoming selfish over money. But God, for some of us, it has nothing to do with money. Some of us honor people over you. Some of us honor stuff over you. Some of us honor just our time over you. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, the spirit of love and truth, that the spirit of conviction would come over us and would gently speak to us about about what we might honor over you, God, and that we would be open, we would be soft, we would be responsive to hear what you have to say. And then that we would change because it's not about information. It is about formation, that you would form us to be like your son. So I pray that as, as we receive this offering, as we sing this response to you, that you would speak to us about our formation. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you that it's not about what we do, but it is about your faithfulness, your promise to respond. You say, I will honor those who honor me, but those who treat me lightly, they will be dishonored. So God, may we be a people who honor you.